Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat. Another big win on Saturday saw Arsenal move two points clear in the race for Champions League football, while simultaneously damaging the same aspirations of long-term rivals Manchester United. Are Mikel Arteta's side now favourites to land a top four finish and who has been inspiring the recent upturn in form at just the right time of the season? I'm Simon Collings from the Evening Standard and to answer those questions and more beside, I'm joined by Adrian Kajumba of the Daily Mail and Football.London's Kai Kainak to look back on the 3-1 victory. Our 50th show of the current season would also not be complete without a game of Guess the Gooner to round things off. Adrian, we'll come to you first. I mean, looking at the scoreline, people will think that was a pretty convincing 3-1 win for Arsenal, but, but was that the case? No, not not quite. Um, obviously, Arsenal will go 2-0 up and Ronaldo scores, I think it was two or three minutes after um, Bukayo Saka's penalty. And I think there was probably a period of probably 40 minutes, maybe, um, 30, 40 minutes between Ronaldo's goal and Xhaka's goal when Manchester United had a lot of opportunities, a lot of promising situations um, that you could kind of reel off where the game was sort of on a on a on the knife edge, and obviously the, the Bruno penalty is a big one. You think if if Bruno scores that penalty, then United actually didn't play that badly, um, and you just think the way they were playing, their chances they they were creating up to that point, they probably might have gone on and won the game. But I think there's a lot to be said for you know we've all seen Arsenal teams in recent years. There's a lot to be said for hanging in there and, and showing a bit of grit. Yes, things go your way uh, as well. But for, for turning that situation and ending that game with, a, with what looked like a comfortable 3-1 win, there's a lot to be said for, for doing that and being able to ride out those difficult periods. Yeah, Kai, we're, we're quite often on this podcast talking about refereeing decisions and Arsenal not getting the rub of the green. But, I mean, it kind of feels like they used up all their luck in that game, didn't they? Do you think it's going their way? Um, Ralph Rangnick afterwards said that uh, the second Ronaldo goal, goal wasn't offside. That was very tight and I can definitely see why he probably thought that although with the lines I'm not sure how you can really make those arguments these days um, uh, yeah there were plenty of other things that were in the United's favour but I think Arsenal like we said they've had a lot of things go against them this season I think back to that Martinelli red card uh, where in the game prior uh, I think Southampton had a player who got to throw in and then made a foul straight after I think it was Broya and he wasn't sent off so these things they weirdly do tend to iron themselves out over a season and I think you could argue that Fernandez possibly should have been sent off for his foul on Nuno Tavares. I thought that was a pretty shocking challenge as well. But yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to go too far into it because Arsenal definitely did get uh, a lot of things go their way. The big one's obviously the Cedric Campbell, which uh, I think Peter Walsh explained afterwards that if you're a player on the ground trying to get up, or if you're caught between getting on the ground, then it can't be handball. But then what's to sort of stop players kind of crawling along and just trying to swat the ball away that way? It's all a bit confusing. There's lots of grey areas that these referees, when they're on BT Sport teams, suddenly dig out just to justify strange on-field decisions. And Arsenal got a few go in their favour, but they've had a few go against them this season. So I'm kind of fine with that. Yeah, we, VAR particularly, this gets criticised quite a lot, Adrian, but particularly for the Arsenal penalty, um, which originally was going to be an Enketia goal. Was that an example of where you know, it can be used correctly and where we see the benefits of why we have VAR in use? Yeah, definitely, because I feel maybe previously you might have just had um, Nketiah flagged offside, for example, and that would be the end of it. 
um, with that that foul from Alex Tellez being overlooked. But yeah, that was a that was a very good use of it. Um, and I mean, to be honest, it, you know, I, I did think of it at the time actually when when Tellez kind of barged into the back of Saka, but obviously when when Nketiah puts a ball in the net, you just think, oh well, it doesn't matter. They scored anyway, but. Um, yeah, it was it was a very good use of VAR to go back and, and look at that, and, and as Kaya says, maybe there were other times when VAR maybe maybe could have or should have been used, but 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 wasn't, or maybe decisions weren't changed as a result. But there you go, you win time, you lose some. Performance-wise, over the the United and the Chelsea game, a bit Kaya, we we're used to seeing Arteta teams play in a pretty controlled fashion, dominating possession. These performances seem very different to that. Um, why do you think that was? Do you think it's a case of the personnel and Arteta perhaps changing his style to match what he's got available, given those who are out? I think uh, a bigger part of it is probably the opposition they face. So in the Palace game, the Brighton game and the Southampton game, the last two in particular, those two teams sat very deep. They didn't really look to come out and attack Arsenal, both Chelsea and Manchester United were willing to come onto Arsenal and try and attack them, which just creates space in behind for the Arsenal players to try and exploit. And obviously with Eddie and Ketia up front, you have a bit more of a threat in behind and Lacazette is always looking to come short. And I just think the two teams looking to attack each other in the Chelsea and Man United game meant the game were a lot more stretched. So with that in mind, suddenly these games get really chaotic and goals start flying in and Arsenal, who didn't look like they were going to score ever again, suddenly score seven in the space of two matches and suddenly really maybe a little bit foolish for our questions about sort of the goal scoring problems with Arsenal. But I think, yeah, just the 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 nature of these games, I wonder if it will be replicated in the West Ham game. I wonder if Arsenal will be able to sustain this level of sort of chaotic football up against a West Ham team who now have Craig Dawson out as well. So they're really short on centre-half. So I expect them to sit really deep and just sort of pack the box in a similar manner to just what Southampton and Brighton did in the games before where Arsenal really struggled. So I don't know if um, Arsenal necessarily solved a uh, problem against the deeper blocks, but up against these teams who are going to try and attack them. Arsenal are a really good team in transition. They've got the players for it. They've got Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli when he's come on in both matches. Now Nketiah is obviously a lot more mobile as well. So I think these games really suited Arsenal, weirdly. The bigger games did suit Arsenal as opposed to the games against smaller teams. And I think the real litmus test of their progress will be this West Ham game that's coming up. And I think West Ham are going to provide a much, weirdly, much sterner sort of question for Arsenal than Man U or Chelsea did. Mm. we'll finish off the United chat by just talking about a few of the players um, Adrian I know there was, there was a bit of stick for, for Alex Tellez the Man United left back but Nuno um, possibly didn't have a better game than I know he scored but had a bizarre match giving away a penalty giving the ball away I mean what did you make of his performance and what do you think Arsenal do with him for the rest of the season because it looks like they're going to have Tommy Asu back so maybe Cedric can play left back and they move Nuno out but a bizarre afternoon for him it was. Um, it was, you know, I was doing sort of match ratings during the game on Saturday, and at one point, I think it was maybe partway through the through the second half, I was thinking Nuno scored and he's kind of set this whole this whole game up, set Arsenal on their way. I was looking at like the way he was playing; it was like a four or five, and I was thinking, how is this even working that someone who scored, you know, so early in the game in, in such a big game? But his performance was just all over the place. He was giving the ball away. He was, Dallying on the ball and things like that, poor passing, poor decisions, giving away fouls. Um, I remember watching him early on in the season. I think it was one of his, his first couple of games, and you could see he was a real attacking left back. You can you could see 
who was one of those um, sort of defensive players that can impact the rhythm of the game because of the way he plays from that deeper position and the runs he can make, the speed at which he can make them as well. He can sort of lift the crowd and things like that. But then obviously he has the mistake against Liverpool. I think Arteta stuck with him because he was wary of um, dropping him after one mistake and the impact that could have, because I think he was actually playing okay in, in the period before that. Um, so it's, it's it's a real dilemma, especially when you look at Kieran Tierney, because you, you know you probably can guess from Kieran Tierney's history that he's going to have spells where he's going to be out for a while. So you almost need a really good backup left back who you can rely on. I'm not sure Tavares is that player. Um, and maybe, maybe that might be the option that Cedric has to go over there or can go over there for certain games. Um, it's, it's, you know, there are bigger priorities for Arsenal to look at in the summer, but that left-back one and, and how they get that back up for Tierney is going to be something they, they're going to have to look at as well. Obviously heard from El Nene in the mix zone after after the game talking about how he wants to stay at the club even if he's got a bit part role and you know he's not playing um, playing every week. He's he's had two brilliant games against against Chelsea and Man United. What do you th- what do you think Arsenal do with El Nene? Um, we obviously know what Mark wants them to do, but what do you think the, the club should do? And what do you think they will do? Real aware of, sort of whose house I'm in and sort of not trying to step <laughs> on any turf and who's on production today, but. Uh, if it were up to me, I don't think I'd offer Mohamed El Neni um, a contract extension. Like I mentioned before, I think against the teams who defend a lot deeper, which Arsenal are going to face um, and are probably going to face more often than they face these more sort of sporadic games, I think someone like an El Neni is going to be uh, not as helpful as someone maybe like a Sammy who can be a bit more progressive in his passing, even though he was a bit sideways and backwards in those Brighton and Southampton games. I just don't think that when Arsenal come up against this West Ham side on Sunday, I'm kind of predicting that El Nenny will be there and he'll be tidy in possession, but I don't think he'll offer any incision. And I think Arsenal, if they look to become more dominant and spend more of the game in the opposition half, they need players who can get the ball forward quickly, firstly, which I don't think El Nenny is particularly good at, and who can um, play the ball forwards rather than sort of sideways. And again, I don't necessarily think El Nenny's adventurous enough for possession. So uh, I've got that out of the way. But um, my main <laughs> argument sort of for that I do buy into potentially keeping on any is that if Arsenal are in Europe next season, they'll probably need five midfielders instead of four. Um, currently, it's obviously Thomas Partey, Sammy Lukonga, Granit Xhaka and Mohamed Elneny, and we're expecting to sign one more in the summer. So if you let Elneny go, then the chances are you probably have to buy two midfielders or you promote one from the youth team. Obviously, Charlie Patino is pretty good. Salah has been on the bench a couple of times, but I wouldn't necessarily say either of them are ready to come in in important games if they need to. So... It's a tricky one. I, I just don't think that obviously Elneny's a great character and he's a good guy to have around the dressing room, very popular amongst the squad, but he's been around for six and a half years, never really made himself a first team regular, never really looked like making himself a first team regular. So for me, I think it's just time to, to move on from him and potentially bring in someone new in the summer. Uh, on the top four races as a whole, Adrian, do you think United are now out of it with that with that defeat to Arsenal? Yes, um, definitely. I mean, to be honest, I thought they were out of it before because they're such a, um, I'm afraid to use the word, but they're such a weak team. Mm. Um, maybe sort of mentality was they're, they're very easy. Just watching them a lot this season almost feels like as soon as any team turns it up, goes into third, fourth gear against them, you'll beat them. Um, and I think 
when he came back after the international break, had Ralph Ranić talking about them having to win. I think it was eight or nine games, and I think they hadn't even won three in a row um, in the league all season. And I think they dropped points in that first game he was talking about. So it kind of says a lot about what they're like. Um, so it seems like it's come down to to Arsenal and Tottenham. And yes, Arsenal have the advantage points-wise, but you look at that North London derby at Spurs and it just looks like it's all going to hinge on that. Um, very, very tight. And at this stage, I'm going to sit on the fence for the time being. It's just too tough to call just because it, it all seems like it's going to hinge on that game. With, with What I would say is, you know, Spurs' form has dropped off these last couple of games as well. Um, struggling for goals, even shots on target as well. As, you know, it's, it's a bad time to hit, hit a dip. It's, it's amazing, Kyra, in this, in this sort of top four race, how quickly the momentum seems to swing almost game by game, week by week. Um, think back to the Southampton game, which was, you know, seven days before Arsenal Man United. And after that, even the players, Arsenal players, particularly watching them leave St. Mary's, you know, heads bowed, they looked on the floor. Arteta was speaking about the difficulty of lifting them up. And now Arsenal back in fourth place, two points clear. Where do you see it looking at, at Tottenham card? Do you think they have the advantage in terms of having Arsenal um, Arsenal at home and the fixtures looking slightly easier? Or do you think now the momentum has swung so much to Arsenal that they're the favourites again? I don't know if Spurs fixtures do look slightly easier anymore. They've obviously got to go to Liverpool, which is going to... Or do they host Liverpool at home? I'm not sure. It's um, They play Liverpool. Anf- yeah. They go to Anfield. Mm. And obviously Liverpool are chasing the title and I doubt Spurs will get anything from that game. And then they play Arsenal, which is obviously a difficult game. And then the other three fixtures, you could argue, are slightly easier. But I think Arsenal will be thinking quietly that they'll be quite confident. I, I never thought that either Arsenal... Uh, or Spurs were going to win all their games between now and the end of the season. And I don't think they both will win all their games between now and the end of the season. And I think, again, both teams are probably going to drop points that you would have expected them to pick up. Um, Spurs, their their confidence might be low, but they do have two arguably world-class forwards, which means that they can play really badly, but still come away with a victory. I mean, against Brentford, they were, I think, pretty awful. But Harry Kane almost scored a bicycle kick in the last minute of the game, and they would have come away with all three points. And none of us would have been talking about that. So... Uh, it's, yeah, like Adrian was saying, it's such a hard one to call because um, both teams are so wildly inconsistent at the minute and you, can, you can't you can really call either team confidently to win a game. I mean, Arsenal obviously beat Chelsea 4-2 midweek, but I don't think there would have been any Arsenal pundit or Arsenal fan going into the game on Saturday against Man U confidently saying, even with Man United's form themselves, that Arsenal were going to win that game. So it's really hard to call. Um, I think obviously the advantage is with Arsenal now because they have the points advantage and um, that's going to be huge at this stage of the season. But I think, uh, yeah, like Adrian was saying, everything seems to like it's going to hinge on that North London derby. You mentioned that it is at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Nick Arteta hasn't ever won there. I don't think Arsenal have ever won there. So it could be a good time to get the first victory. It could be a case that Arsenal might only need a draw from that game. So it's, it's really hard to say at this stage of the season. If you have me back on to preview that game, I'll be able to give you a more confident answer then. But now I'm going to, like Asia, I'm just going to I'm gonna stay on the fence where it's a little bit safer. <laughs> in, in the top four races as a whole, Adrian, do you think, I mean, Saturday's game and also, you know, Arsenal and Spurs themselves sort of sum up how all the teams in it are pretty inconsistent, they're pretty fallible, they've got flaws, and you can't really look at them and say with any confidence that, you know, they're going to put a run together of five wins to finish the season. Is, is that the way it is with the top four race? 
Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, when you look at that top part of the table, you could probably say you definitely trust Liverpool, um, City and Liverpool, sorry, in top two order. Chelsea maybe a little bit more. Um, and then after that, I mean, I was when I, when I was heading to the game on the weekend um, at the Emirates, a bit like Kaya just, just alluded to there, I just thought literally anything could happen. You, you know, you, you couldn't have said with any certainty who was going to win that game, how the game was going to pan out, who were going to be the key players. It's just there's just a lot up in the air with a sort of group of teams below the, the top three, really. Um, so it's, it's almost, in some ways, it's who can make the least mistakes, who can be the least worst is going to end up getting pulled. <laughs> um, it feels a little bit like that. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty and instability in that group behind the sort of top three. When we run the, the pod, I think probably at the end of May, uh, sorry, in the March, Kyra and the start of April, there was a bit of talk about, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal could catch Chelsea. Um, looking at the games at Chelsea, the games Arsenal had, you know, could maybe sneak third place. Do you, do you think that's that's gone now after Chelsea beat West Ham? And do you think it's not even worth thinking about? Yeah, I, I think that shit might have sailed. I think when Jorginho missed that 88-minute penalty, a little part of me was like, oh, maybe the door's a little bit open, but then obviously Pulisic slammed it shut again in the 90th minute. So, yeah, I think Chelsea, they don't have any European distractions. Um, obviously, they've got the ownership, which is going to be a little bit of a cloud hanging over them, but I think they're going to be all right between now and the end of the season. I, I'd back them to be, like Adrian was saying, more consistent than Arsenal and Tottenham. I don't think, I think for Arsenal or Tottenham to catch Chelsea, they're going to have to win all of their games. And like I already said, I don't think they're going to do that. So I think Chelsea are adrift now, especially after that West Ham win. I think, yeah, it's it's, it's a straight shootout between Arsenal and Tottenham. West Ham is basically out of it now after that Chelsea defeat. Man United, as we've already alluded to in the podcast, are a long way out of it and arguably have been for quite a while now. So, yeah, I think it's just there's one spot, there's two teams, two doesn't go into one. So we're going to have to try and wait and see who claims that final spot. Yeah, lastly, Adrian, we'll just finish on West Ham. You'll probably get to see them, obviously, more than Kyra and I do. Do they look like a team that obviously have all their eggs in the Europa League basket and also perhaps a squad that we're now seeing being stretched that we always thought would be the case, particularly after January when they didn't do didn't do much business. Definitely. I think I think when you look at the the team um that David Moyes picked for the Chelsea game game, sorry, on, on Sunday, it kind of sends out the message. Um it's all it's all about Europa League now. Protecting Antonio, he didn't get on. Protecting Declan Rice, he did come on, but started on the on the bench. So when, when you see particularly what he does with those two players and, and Zuma, if he had been fit, he would have been one who probably goes into that category as well. How David Moyes manages him would give you an indication of where his priorities lie. If Zuma, if Zuma was fine, I'm sure he would have been rested um, at a weekend as well. Obviously, he's not. Um, so, yeah, it's all about the Europa League for them. And I, I think that will probably be a, a factor this weekend. On top of the fact, as Kyle's already said earlier on, they got no defenders now with, with Craig Dawson getting sent off. So, I think um, I think that may end up playing into Arsenal's hands simply because of what sort of a team can or defence can David Moyes put out um, for the for the game this weekend. Um, so yeah, I think for West Ham, it's all about the Europa League now, um, and just, just all eyes on that really. Now we'll finish, guys. With- 
our latest instalment of Guest Laguna. Uh, as always, I'm going to read out the clues and hints to an Arsenal player, past or present. Uh, you guys just need to shout out when you think you know who it is. If you get it on your first guess, you'll get 10 points, second guess, nine points, and so on and so on. Right, so the first clue is... I have won the FA Cup three times. Aaron Ramsey? Incorrect. Okay. That would have been a sensational start, that. I have also won the Premier League once. Definitely not Aaron Ramsey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I chose to play football after turning down rugby trials with London Irish and cricket trials with Hampshire. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is correct. Hey. Look at that. <laughs> Three guesses in. Uh, I'll read out the rest of the clues for those of you at home who are probably still trying to get it like I would have been. Um, I have seven international goals from my 35 caps. I played at Euro 2012, having moved to Arsenal the previous year. I became the youngest English player to score in the Champions League when I scored in 2011. I've also won the Champions League. I was named in the PFA Team of the Year for League One in 2011. My brother currently plays for Aldershot Town. Both my father and uncle also played football professionally. Last year, I welcomed my own son, who is named Axel. There we go. I think I've guessed Oxlade Chamberlain each time I've done this. Guessing, <laughs> it's it's paid off. <laughs> I mean, that's a good way to get it right, isn't it? So. Exactly. Uh, well, look, guys, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, we'll be back on Friday to preview the trip to West Ham.